Hi guys, Jeff here. Special two-part version of the catch-up this week. We explored the origins and cultural impact of Boba Guys with co-founder Andrew Chow. We sure had a lot to say, so make sure to look out for the second part of the conversation to get the full story. Welcome to the catch-up. Introducing your hosts, Eli Arith, editor-in-chief, and... Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously. Of the craziest, most bestest, news-breaking, food-porn-peddling, viral website on the dot-coms. It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy! There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. All right. And welcome to the catch up. What's up, my fellow fatty fat fatties? <laughs> Let's talk boba. I'm talking bubble tea. We're talking those big straws. We're talking pegging your friends in high school with boba pearls, like that, like a blow dart. You ever do that? Jim? I knew you. I, I didn't remember if you specifically did that, but now that you've put it in the intro, I am not surprised at all that you were the guy that did that to me. Yeah, I wasn't wasting them, but sometimes you just you see you see a friend's big head and you just gotta just right right on it. So, but we're joined today by Bay Area boba legend, Mr. Andrew Chow. He's the co-founder of Boba Guys, a tea house that started as a pop-up in the back of a San Francisco ramen restaurant in 2011 and now has over 15 locations across the country. You might have seen their logo around town or on Instagram. It's it's that anteater. Sip- Aardvark. It's that anteater sipping on a cup of tea. (laughs) Their menu, Andrew, the the intro's not done yet. Their menu is not only inspired by traditional milk teas, but they've gathered gathered influences from other cultures as well. They have the dirty horchata flavor, which is one of my favorites. It's it's rice milk, cinnamon, sugar, and a little espresso. Uh, It's me wired. So Jeff loves boba. I love boba. I love boba, but I specifically love boba guys. So it's this is the energy is good. I'm really excited. I'm really excited. Andrew, you love boba too. Uh, I hope so. I hope so. For for this podcast, I do. I love boba. <laughs> Welcome to the. I bet my life on it. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks for having me. I I obviously huge. Uh, was it for a uh, long time listener, first time guest? So yeah, it's uh, awesome. I love this setup here. And for those at home who are wondering, we are not sadly drinking boba while we're doing this. No, it's kind of a kind of a misstep on our part. <laughs> we actually, we don't actually brand. have a lot of good boba, like in our vicinity. Like we don't have walking distance. We don't. Boba we here. definitely don't have walking distance. Like Orange County has its own subset that you know. We got cool houses. You could but. you could toss into the equation of being of being good from more than an Orange County perspective, but. Yeah. Uh, been on our downtown Santa Ana block. Nothing. Nothing. Dude. Um, so, Andrew, let's just get this out the way. What is what is boba? Let's lay that awesome, groundwork. Awesome. <laughs> this is so boba is a it's made out of a tapioca starch. Tapioca is made out of cassava. It's like a root. So in America, we probably would say it looks like a it's cassava. So it'd be like a potato mm. or yuca, and they blend it up. And then uh, the process, um, I'm making hand motions, but you like roll it up, like having balls in your hand, and you roll it up. But there's machines that do this now, and it tumbles, and then it forms it into kind of like a, I want to say like a BB gun size, but like a, like a- Paintball yeah, like size a almost. Paintball size, yeah, small, oh, paintball. A little smaller. And then you uh, put it usually in a milk tea, 
but you can have it in a horchata base now, you could have it in agua fresca bases, but you do that and you drink it. So a lot of people in Asia, it started as a dessert, and then in the last 30 years, it's been really popularized as kind of a, a drink, the way Americans maybe think of smoothies, Asians usually will think of boba. Hmm. What was what was your first boba experience growing up? Good question. I haven't thought about this in a long, long time. You got now. all the hard hitting stuff here, man. <laughs> what is boba? It's like first boba experience. <laughs> it's like it's like the opposite of Terry Gross. I'm just gonna laugh, <laughs> laugh all the time. You guys, I'm not gonna be able to concentrate. So, I, I think it was. I, I grew up in uh, this right outside of San Francisco, and they had. I heard rumors about this uh, this new drink that everybody was drinking. And then my mom, who, uh, if you have Asian parents or parents who speak different languages or come from different cultures, they read the newspaper of the homeland. Mm -hmm. And so my mom read this like Chinese newspaper and it was showing how, what was blowing up in Asia. And then there was a couple places in the Bay Area that were, that were carrying it essentially. And then I think my mom actually took me there first. Um, because there was like a restaurant down the street and then she wanted to check it out. My mom actually does have a sweet tooth and I think it's probably where I got it from. And then that's when I first had boba. And then one of my best friends in high school, uh, middle school, high school also said, let's go grab boba. So I would say I had boba since um, mid nineties. I think it got hot in the eighties in uh, late eighties in Taiwan, which is where it's from. But then by the nineties, it kind of came to America. So it was hitting down here. San Gabriel Valley, because it's kind of where all the, the immigration, the migrants go to. And then in the Bay Area, some in Cupertino, and then San Francisco. So my shout out to Wonderful Foods on Irving. <laughs> uh, they are mom and pop to this day. Uh, I mean, they're surrounded by boba shops now, but to me, they're always the OG. If you're from the Bay Area, you'll know what I'm talking about. They're like the legit OG, make it the old school way. So late grade school, high school, your first mm -hmm. boba experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shit, all right, cool, I wasn't that far behind. <laughs> I, feel good. Oh, you guys are, I feel great about myself. <laughs> Little Arab kid in Southern California. <laughs> I like it, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, well, that's the first time for everybody. People do ask that, they're always like trying to, they're trying to gauge their boba connoisseurship yeah, based clout. on like, yeah. Boba clout. They're like, so did you hear this? And you're like, oh, I've heard of it too. And then they're like, oh, it's like, it's like they're trying to score and match up. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I wanna, like seeing Michael Jordan be like, I could take you one on one. I'd be like, I was like, I love boba, but I don't know everything about boba. There is to know about boba. <laughs> I fell into this. Yeah. Yo, I thought I knew a lot about tea, and like I go to 85 degrees a lot around here. And then when I was in China, I tried to go to 85 degrees, and like a boss was trying to order for everyone else. They didn't understand a word I fucking said. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like, yeah, let me get the, uh, let me get that Thai tea with the, uh, with, yeah, with the pearls, please. And they're like, we have no fucking clue, dummy. <laughs> and like, no one else could speak anything. So I was like, oh, we're fucked for a while at a point. Andrew, you said you, you, you fell, yeah. you fell into it. What's, yeah. what's the story of you falling into Boba Guys? Yeah, the entertaining version is we didn't really know what we <laughs> yeah, were we'll, doing. We'll take that. Please take that version. one. Yeah. <laughs> so usually there's like, uh, you know, there's a. Uh, there's like a straightforward answer. Basically, my co-founder and I, true story, actually we don't talk about this too much, um, is I don't think people even want to hear it, but if you guys want to hear it. We do. The, okay. I'll tell you halfway for <laughs> yeah. Start. You're gonna like point at me and be like, shut up. So, so um, I was a corporate guy. So I was like, both my co-founder and I came out of um, like day jobs. And so I was, my, my, I went to grad school. I was very boring, very what people nowadays call a yappy, you know, like, uh, 
<laughs> was it a young Asian professional? Uh, he wore J. Crew Banana Republic. At the time, it was actually just banana, <laughs> if I could afford it. And then I'd wear slacks. And then I um, would uh, drive a Honda Accord. I had, I had the stereotype. And it's a good stereotype. I was very happy. Um, and But my co-founder and I really wanted to do something special. And I think we did, did come from families that were very unique. I think our parents did, um, they're both immigrants and they both were kind of dream chasers. My, my dad was, I've talked about this sometimes, but um, not deeply, but he's a freedom swimmer, meaning there's about um, 60,000 people that fled Guangzhou, which is this um, southern part of China, to Hong Kong, which at the time was owned by the British. And so, the, and then he came over here as a Hong Kong refugee. Crazy story, somebody should make a movie about it. The, the, the whole thing was like, my dad was like, I didn't come here and swim and try to do all that only to have you do the stereotypical things. And so I actually do think I will, that was always in the back of my mind. Um, and then fast forward when I was thinking about what to do, I was on a, a CMO track. So very stereotypical out of business school. I did what you call CPG, consumer product goods. So I was making like, at the time I did ranch dressing and then uh, Hidden Valley Ranch owned by Clorox, people don't know. And then I was Great thinking, brand. Great brand. <laughs> Has to, you have to stay on brand. Uh, so I was, it was really good training, but then we are like, could we use our skills for something that we're a little more passionate about? Now, I do like dressing and I like it on buffalo wings, <laughs> but doing a whole life off of that, or possibly I was on, people wanted like Coca-Cola and those kind of companies were always um, coming after me because of my language skills. Because uh, you can't tell, I, I am Asian and I, I, I speak Asian languages and it's rare nowadays that, back then especially, that uh, Asian Americans, especially um, with language skills that are trained in these schools, can go to Asia and kind of represent kind of Asian uh, uh, American culture goods like Coca-Cola or tea or something, or uh, like Lipton's. So what happened was we're like, that's all boring. How do we get out of it? And then we want to do apparel. So the real thing is people always wonder now, I get this question too much because we just came out of you know the 88 Rising collabs and we did stuff with Wang and Barney's in the past. We were like, yo, how does Boba guys, you guys really want to do that, but you guys are just Boba. And people don't realize that Ben and I had just really been into like apparel and fashion for the whole time. If you look at him, he's the better dressed one. He, he's a, he like, you know, he's like, I mean, in another world, he should have just gone into like, like fashion straight because he's like acronym, Isimiyaki, you know, head to toe. He got that Kevin Moss swag. He does, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, and yeah, I definitely don't have, I'm like, uh, no, I love it, but I'm like, I'm Tom's Allbirds, you know? So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still like one step uh, below him. He's really out there with his trends. Anyway, so we wanted to do a company like that. Before Acronym really blew up, I remember him talking about it. Um, there's a company, shout out to Rich at Ditch, Dispatch. So we looked at uh, all these SF brands, uh, Dispatch, Mission Workshop. So we wanted to do maybe that technical apparel. And we were thinking about it. We were actually maybe even like drawing things in our mind, like sketching. But really, every time we did it, it was around Boba. And it was like our beer. We don't really drink. We get the Asian flush. And so we're like. <laughs> Pepsi. <laughs> I know, right? Don't get addicted. Yeah. So we're like, what, what are we going to do? And every single time, I don't know if this was just we were like scared or we didn't know what we were doing. But we felt like we just couldn't pull the trigger on apparel. And every time we were talking about food, though, we would light up. 
And it wasn't like we were trained in food. We didn't go to culinary school. We didn't do any of that. So we really fell into it because we were just around it so much. Well, we didn't know that the whole time we had 20 years of research. It's like, like we're just drinking boba every day. It's like, um, that's why people start beer companies, right? Like <laughs> I drink beer, you know? So we were, that's kind of how it started. And uh, here we are. It's crazy, it's crazy. I always tell people like, oh, did you ever, people like to say, do you ever think about how far ahead do you think? I'm like, Ben and I do not think that far ahead. When you ask me like five-year goals, I don't really have one. I just wanna stop explaining what boba is to white people. That's probably it. <laughs> I like that. And I, I don't like the five-year goal question because I don't yeah. like it when people ask me. I'm like, dude, I don't know. Shit. Yeah. Day-to-day, day-to-day. So where where exactly were you guys working when the first like boba guys sale happened? Like, did you guys, because it was in a ramen shop yeah. originally? Yeah. Super random. But our friends, we had mutual friends that, uh, we had friends that did basically were opening a ramen shop and it was down the street from actually another uh, now famous place called Mission Chinese. Yeah. So Danny Bowen and Anthony, uh, we were regulars there and we were like, what's a pop-up? Back then, nobody knew what a pop-up yeah. was. We were like, what? what? How's insurance work? That's my mind. I'm like, I'm super nerdy. <laughs> like, who's on? Who's liable if somebody gets sick? <laughs> and then so, so they're like, uh, you just eat your food and stuff. And so our friends, uh, we're all friends, we, they wanted to open a ramen restaurant, Robert and Stefan and this guy Taka. So the three of them opened Ken Ken Ramen uh, that was a pop-up shop, now had their own spot. Then they were like, do you want to pop up in us? And we're like, oh, it's like birthing children. It's like, oh, it's like generations. It's like, maybe, because we were at, at the time hinted that we were looking at spaces because we had an idea for drinks. And at the time, I, I don't think there was a drink pop-up ever because we were trying to Google like drink temporary store or pop-up, like we couldn't find it on on anything. So we're like, how are we gonna do this? And so I really did worry about legal stuff. I was like, is it gonna be illegal? Like who, what happens if somebody does get sick because we work with milk or if somebody chokes? So like, because uh, they have balls in their mouth. Um, <laughs> All these boba problems. <laughs> I know. Yeah, first first boba problems. So then what happened was they were like, no, 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 no. Just forget all that. Don't worry about it. And that's actually gives credit to them. They just bet on us. And then first thing we made boba, we were practicing boba for like three months straight and uh, making it. And then when it launched, it was like super good. It was like, we, we literally say this, it's like Firefest for for boba because we had like a random fake wall. We put a fake wall up because we didn't want people to go into like the soon to be uh, dining room. It was just this bar section. And then we cut this random hole. Actually our <laughs> friends cut up a random hall, hole, Stefan, um, shout out to him again. He cuts it for us because he's super helpful. He's like, ah, we'll make it a hole. So it was like a lemonade stand, and it was pretty. It was it was like looking at pictures. It was it's on the <laughs> internet. It, it's it's it was pretty lame. What lemonade stand has a hole in it? <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> I think you think of a different hole. Or maybe it's a so, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. People can't imagine the images we're, we're thinking about right now. Okay. So there's but, like a facade of a wall. And you guys served through this wall. That mm-hmm. was that was the in, original yeah. boba guys. Mm-hmm. And then uh, yeah, and we we had these mugs, and then we sold out two hundred in the first day. Shut up! How yeah. did you get the word out? I don't even. I really don't know. We we were writing a little bit of it on this uh, magazine at the time called uh, Good Magazine. So this yeah. editor um, Tim Fernals we knew pretty well, and he was he just he just saw something. We he saw kind of like we gave him a, a uh, our brand identity. We gave them because we were. I was an. I'm a branding guy, so I my technical skills I actually did translate into straight into Boba guys. So Tim really liked kind of the vision of it, 
we were like basically saying, can we do blue bottle boba? Mm. And then he liked that. And he said, can you chronicle it for us? And that's why. So, but we only like two, three weeks of, of posts before that. So, and the readers are scattered, their readers are scattered all over the America at the time. So it wasn't like I, I knew how many in San Francisco. Sure. And it was before Instagram really. So we weren't even sure how many people truly followed us from where are they. So when we made the announcement, um, the night before, we didn't even have a sign because we were like, ah, it's just gonna be friends and family. And then Ben, we both had our day jobs. Ben was like, yo, I don't have a sign. And this is actually another story that people don't really know is that we didn't have other identity. We just really had a, a good logo maybe. So he just blew it up at Kinko's and it was like this like six foot by six foot sign. And then Robert and Stefan, the owners of Ken Ken Ramen were like, uh, I don't know if we're allowed you to put it anywhere. And then we kind of convinced them. So they let us put us on this fake wall. And that was why, if you look at Boba Guys now, we have all these, what you call supers, these giant logo walls. And it was, again, this 2011, it was before Instagram really blew up. Like it was only girls, you know, doing like beach shots at the time and, and crafters maybe. So we, it was, and then a random, f and us doing food. And so we were just like, oh, people are gonna take a picture in front of it. And then what we noticed that opening, people were taking pictures in front of it. And so that was like, we always say it's like the, the butterfly wings of our time. It was like everybody was taking pictures in front of a logo. And it was always that aardvark? Yeah, we did, We got lucky. We got, Ben is an amazing, one of the, probably the best designer I know. He came up with that when we were talking about um, different ID. And then he, I don't even know exactly how we picked an aardvark, to be honest. We almost went with the honey badger. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> It was, remember that viral video? It was like, oh, the honey, yeah. honey badger doesn't give a fuck. Like that was the, it was such in the zeitgeist that we almost chose it. But every time we kind of did illustrations or drew it out or did versions of it, it looked very vicious or like a skunk. Mm. And so there was like, ah, uh, but um, we did a whole brand exercise. We're like, what do people want to say about, what do you want, what do we want people to say about us? And we said accessible. We want to be friendly, accessible, because everybody thinks Boba is like this, at the time, Asian thing and, Oh, it's too complicated. Uh, you know, adults were like, "I'm going to choke on it." My children are going to choke on it. Um, Non-Asians were like, "Oh, that's for my Asian friends." And I'm like, "No, it isn't." You go to Asia, two billion people drink milk tea every day, and then the dessert part, like Southeast Asia, everybody drinks some form of like a sago, tapioca pudding. It's just America, American palate. We just aren't used to it. And at the time, this 2011 and 10, when we thought of it, Starbucks was taking over like Asia, and we're like, "How? That's a." continent, how can American kind of culture and values and taste go overseas but we can't bring something back the other way? So I really, really noodled on that for like a long time. So Ben and I, we tend to like philosophical questions. So we're like, why didn't that happen? So philosophically, yeah, the aardvark doesn't mean anything? Uh, other than it just being friendly. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's like a spirit animal, that's what we say. It just feels like us. I like it. Now when I see an aardvark uh -huh. or when I, an anteater, I either think of my alma mater, UC Irvine, or Boba. Mm -hmm. Like that's, I don't know, you guys did a great job. <laughs> Thanks. You did a great job. We, we now, yeah, somebody made a joke. They were like, oh, you took over Arthur the aardvark. And I'm like, who? And then they're like, oh, that my point. I was like, oh, shoot. And now I looked up Arthur the aardvark and I'm like, really so sorry. I'm like, maybe we can work with them. So if you're listening on the aardvark, Arthur the aardvark IP team, like uh, hit us up. They're definitely listening. Andrew, <laughs> Andrew, were you a networked person before you started Boba Guys in the sense of you guys, you said you made Boba for, what was it, 90 days straight or something where mm -hmm. you're just constantly practicing. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if you 
if you have a network of any kind and like if my friend Eli over here was doing something 90 days in a row and I was just his friend and then he popped up somewhere, I would be there because I'd be like, this guy has been doing it for 90 days straight. I'd be good. Like, if I'm his friend, I'm going to show up. Was the was the 200 people that came and sold out your boba day one, night one, was that network effect? Was that just timing, right? Like, why did that, why did that happen? We don't really know. Back then, we didn't know. But looking back in hindsight, I wonder if, like, I don't know if you guys, we're all, we were talking about this before we went on air, but, like, like fashion and zeitgeist stuff and like it's I maybe it's like supreme of its time right like I think well I, I shouldn't compare we're not supreme but it was like the the effect of how you build hype hmm. and the it, drop yeah yeah so we in, inadvertently maybe did a version of an early version of the a drop for food and we kind of use that now when we did you know we did this whole thing with 88 um, rising and and um, this Nalgene bottle that we sold you know a lot of let's just say um, and I that even blew me away and to me, it just reminds me that like the culture is moving toward these like limited uh, special experiences because everything is commoditized now, right? So you know everybody can have the same boba or pho or banh mi or like um, I don't know quesadilla. So th- when we think about food, we're like, how do you make it special? So that that to us it maybe was like an early drop because we actually maybe we didn't. Um, I don't, I don't think we thought exactly how to build hype, but what we did do was saying, we thought about cadence, I don't know if you guys use that word. Yeah. We thought about like leaking a little bit of information. Oh, here's a logo. And then here's the flavors that we're gonna use. And here's what we're working on. And that kept people kind of engaged. And Ben and I, my co-founder and I are really into like just dialogue. We're very like into um, just culture. So people, I mean, I could talk about culture all day. I'll talk about, you know, Kanye and then, you know, Off-White and then like we were just talking about Bieber because I'm wearing a Bieber shirt right now. So like I think there's just a lot of um, uh, ideas that we had and so we were just, there's too many ideas and we were so, to me, our first day was like finally I get to have the product they've been talking about for a while and so it acts like a drop because it was just so much talk about it. And then the product I, I thankfully was decent and that's why it kept it coming. So I don't know if it was network effect because I think there's a lot of people who are really connected, right? There's all these like influencers who want to do food. Awesome. I know a lot of them that are trying to do food, but a lot of them don't have sustained sustained kind of business because you don't want to build it on the hype or the network alone. You need the product, you need experience so people can know like oh, I'll come back for it because I know what to expect every single time. Cuz it'll wear off when it's just like, oh, a celebrity ran this uh this restaurant group the celebrity's not gonna be there all the time. And you can't make food that way or uh, retail shops that way. How how serendipitous do you think it all was? Because you said, great logo. If you had the money, would you have just opened up a shop instead of a pop-up? Or, because inherently mm-hmm. that pop-up is what made it so sexy early on. Because I'm sure there mm-hmm. were other tea that they could have mm-hmm. gone at the time, right? Mm-hmm. So, but instead, Probably some word spread. You said you had, in theory, a blog on Good Mag's website, mm-hmm. and thus people were like, "Oh shit! Like, let's go find this Ardvart." Like, th- there's like almost this like shining light, this speakeasy, mm-hmm. if you will. There's a speakeasy in LA that's shuttered now, but it was a boba speakeasy in the back, and that's what made it so fun. Oh, Lobotory Elton. Yeah. Shout out to Elton. Yeah. Yeah, it was a yeah. fun concept. It was fun to to sneak mm-hmm. it out. It wasn't available all the time. They were mm-hmm. serving booze with it, yep. which was kind of their shtick. Yeah. Um, how much of that 
did you know going in versus like was just a product of what you had like we work in full-time jobs we're not we're gonna deal with what we have this pop-up i mean i still think we don't we didn't we thought a lot about maybe branding i don't know if we thought a lot about our ops and how to do it like mm -hmm. I, I think that's maybe where i don't know if you guys at, at food beast or or in this podcast when you're like did you think about how far the guests go how deep uh your roster of guests are going to go for us we were like how deep and how far were we going to go in the first store for us it was more opportunistic it was like our friend offered his space in the ramen restaurant we made enough money in our day jobs that was like all right do we then open an actual real shop which is really what was the first goal mm -hmm. because we wanted to i mean this is where i'll play the frugal card you know the, i don't want to get into too many stereotypes here but like i want to i had so much boba i'm like i don't want to keep on paying other you know, both from other people, like, and give them my money. I'd rather have my own shop. That's how a lot of people just start their own restaurants and <laughs> and like stuff, right? They're like, oh, I, I consume that a lot, so let me just open my burrito joint. So that was kind of the main MO. But then that first store, which um, was $80,000. I'm not sure if I've ever said that on a podcast, $80,000. Mm. So we put 40 grand each. So, um, and then that first store in the Mission District, uh, which is around the corner from Mission Chinese and uh, uh, the ramen place where we popped up at. So we were, all three of us were clustered and we watched each of us kind of like take off. We watched you know Mission Chinese explode when they opened in New York. And we actually kind of followed them to New York, right? They were in Lower East Side. And then we tell, told Danny, we were like, yo, uh, is Lower East Side cool? Maybe we'll rebuild the Mission environment here. And they, they actually helped, so credit to them so there's like so many people who helped us along the way, but it was always opportunistic. We're like, should we? And then if it was a yes, then it was like, then take it. If no, then the door closed and we kind of were looking at something else. So how fast after the pop-up was a success in theory, did you open the, the shop? How, how far was that window? About a year. A year? Yeah, about a year. We were also, the pop-up didn't make that much money. We probably broke even almost. But what we did was we had a, a pretty strong audience by then. By then, our audience was crazy and, and huge supporters. We actually had a lull, which we don't really talk about, but my co-founder and I, uh, we almost, actually, uh, I was a sport, my editor's gonna get mad, Francis Lamb, shout out to him, but uh, in book the book deal. we talk about it. We have a book deal and our books, actually, because I, I, I wrote this part of it, we, I don't think we've ever talked about it. Boba Guy's actually basically shuttered. So on the internet, um, yeah, the, I think the book will probably be the first time, I guess I'm saying it on this podcast. You got an exclusive. There's your first exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> Is we, what happened was this. He had another start, Ben had another startup and I was just tired. And I was like, we're both at corporate jobs, great. You know, that's why I wasn't complaining. But we're like, is it worth it? And then we, sh we disappeared for six months. And there were people, I mean, you could see on kind of on our Instagram, like when that period was. And we got these emails and, and messages saying, when are you coming back? Because you were so different and I loved what you stood for and I love that you changed everything. So this is a kind of an end of 12 into 13. That's why we opened in 13. The, the first store was beginning of 13. And so 12 was kind of like the year that we were like kind of in limbo. And so it was, shout out to those emails. Uh, some of them I now know personally to this day. Back then I didn't know them that well. I was jogging one time, random story. I was jogging uh, on Embarcadero in San Francisco and I run into one of the fans and she literally kind of like, oh, you're Boba guys, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> really? I was like, yeah. yeah. I was like, I used to come to your your your, your pop-up and you shut down like months ago. 
why what happened and then that whole conversation like running alongside her it was like for 15 minutes she was just like telling me everything it meant to her and i really i was like really and i told ben my co-founder um i was like yo i ran into this, like this girl that was a huge fan i don't know like you want to give a shot it's kind of like i don't know when you're dating <laughs> it's been a while since i was dating but i was like it's like you want to give it a go another one you know like second chance and that was to me what and he was in it too so he was like all right all right i've been thinking about two so that's actually why we came back at that point we knew we came back and i said but now we're gonna do it for real we're gonna do this to build it as a real company when you did it for real and you talked about like the eighty thousand dollars for the mm -hmm. first store mm -hmm. was that something where you guys thought hey we're gonna go seek investment for this first store or like we're just gonna put up the money for proof of concept ourselves and then what what did that eighty thousand dollars buy for your first store Ooh. It was, it was me. It was all all start the first store. So, the the first eighty thousand. I'll tell you my side of it. Forty thousand on each person. So my side, my wife and I were talking about buying a car, a second car, and that basically that's what it was to me. It cost me a car, and so I was like, well, now I'm gonna. And Uber wasn't even really out yet back then. So I was like, am I gonna have to take the bus everywhere? Which I did. You know, I had like. The early days, the first three years of Boba Guys, I had like a um, monthly Muni pass for 76 bucks. And so like, that's how I carried inventory with me sometimes, I swear to God. Wow. And the, so when we opened that store, um, we we were like, we don't know how much anything costs. So thankfully we actually, we were pretty good with numbers and, and operations because we were um, a trained discipline, like corporate training so that kind of kept our books in tight and and our costs kind of like budgeted really well so when we opened actually opened pretty on budget and then um and then it did well right away it was so, it did decently well that we actually got we realized we got the wrong machines and so if you look at early pictures on the old yelp because people are kind of documenting for us essentially and pictures of that store you could see we had like wrong tea dispensers because it didn't like i uh, hold heat well it was it was getting too hot in the store we didn't have great ac in the store that store especially in the first two years was like really hot because we didn't have the right air conditioning we didn't have uh, didn't have an ice machine that actually made enough ice for us we had like a 138 pound ice machine which to give you an idea we use thousand pound ice machines now so it was like 8x versus uh uh of ice volume before we would have to run down to the grocery market paying cash and lug the ice down and like a lot of times I remember to this day because there's people taking pictures of me where I'm grabbing the ice and then the ice is melting as I'm walking back up and it's dripping down the front because I don't want to put it on my back because it's weird. So I, and then, so it looks like I'm like you're peeing. Like, right? <laughs> and we were like, where is that? And I'm like walking through the store like with this, like this, my whole front is all wet. Like, but it, it literally did look like, yeah, I was wetting myself. And so you learn, number one, you learn, you know, how to just grit through things. Number two, you learn uh, basically uh, how to not be ashamed. <laughs> and then number three is you learn how to like really have perspective because you, you're like, well, where am I in the big picture? I'm like, other people did this. You know, Mission Chinese is blown up. Danny and Anthony are killing it. We look up to them, you know, Robert and Stefan are killing it. We look up to them. Could we also do something similar? And what's so hard about it. And I think that's, if you're talking about entrepreneurship, a lot of the best entrepreneurs now, now they're kind of out of it. Now we're kind of, everyone says, Boba Guys is now the next blue bottle, right? Which is good and bad, because I, I think we haven't, you know, 
on, I'll say it on a record, we only took angel money, friends and family. So I raised a million dollars, that's it. Actually, that's an exclusive. We only raised a million dollars. That's not a lot. It's I not. Mean, it's, it's t- yeah. I mean, I would give me a million dollars, I'll take it. But I just mean in the grand scheme of open, like 15 restaurants oh, operating guys a million dollars, that's, that's huge. Our peers took, you know, I want to say, they took 94 mil. I mean, look at every cafe that's blowing up right now, coffee shops, La Colombe. They're all generally a big money backed. Not a bad thing. I come from that world, but we just didn't want to. Because for me, this Ben and I, this is all about always about culture, which we'll probably talk about um, the stuff that we were talking about offline today. But culture is such a big deal. We didn't quit our jobs and do all of this to then just create this chain. Like I kind of would live a lot longer and have a lot sleep a lot better if I didn't wasn't an entrepreneur. But this to me was growing up uh, in New Jersey or been growing up in Texas. We both grew up in these neighborhoods where we were essentially, for better or worse, othered. Not a negative way, but we didn't feel like included in everything. I grew up around Italians and Jewish people, which loved, they taught me how to bridge cultures and like they taught me all about, you know, different um, you know, matzah and all the different styles of food and cuisines they have. And then uh, my parents had a Chinese restaurant and then they would come to my, we were like one of two Chinese restaurants in all of Woodbridge. So we kind of learned, I learned culture over food. But when I moved to California, because um, we had restaurants out here in Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco, that was really when I was like, it's the complete opposite. So many Asians now, but then I kind of forgot what it was like to actually have real conversations that were hard about the when somebody doesn't know something that is really meaningful to you, but they don't know how important it is, but and so they kind of like brush it off or like other it, then it hurts, but how do you reconcile that? And I think as a society, especially with all the news that's breaking in the last week about like, you know, appropriation or all this cultural stuff that's kind of in the zeitgeist, the SNL guy that we were talking about, that is kind of really reshaping the way we thought about Boba Guys, which now then Boba Guys is, people wonder why we do so much cultural influence and content because it's your platform, right? It's essentially turned into a platform by accident. You know, Starbucks had a uh, music label and a movie uh, company, right? You know, I think they did a Keel of the Bee. I was like, Starbucks, a coffee shop, made a spelling bee movie? What? But yeah, a great movie. I actually still remember that movie. Like, it was, right? It was I was like, so inspired. I was, I was a speller. So I was like, man. <laughs> I was a speller. <laughs> Yo, spelling bees were hype back in the day. They were. We could go off on a tangent, but we don't need to. <laughs> were you a spelling bee? I wasn't very yeah. good at They also had math bees. Did you ever go to a math bee? Uh, what's math? No, I it's don't a, know. It's math. like the equivalent of a spelling bee, but it's all on paper. Uh, that's that's I, I, I went to. <laughs> it's not like it's high profile. Sorry. <laughs> we were well. I don't know if this is is that math. We did a Calif- I did California Math League, which is I was a I was a pretty gun pleasant to stereotypes, but I was I was always a math guy. So California Math League is this paper test they'd make six questions. Yeah. And like uh, my fr- my high school, we were like pretty good at it. We were randomly we were a super public high school, South San Francisco high school. Shout out to Warriors. They um was not like. Test scores, the whole like, um, what is it called? Stars test, not that great. But for whatever reason, we created crazy good math students. <laughs> so I don't know what was in the water. My, my friend and I went to um, uh, undergrad, we went to Cal at Berkeley. And uh, he and I were always wondering, like, how do we get out of South City? Because after us and before us, very few kids got into good schools. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, our year, we sent like eight kids to, to Berkeley, Stanford, or Berkeley and Harvard, I think. Um, and that's when I was like, what happened here? So I look back, even those like little small things, it was like, why, it gets philosophical, but like, why are we here? What's our mission? And so for me, I was saying like, I just wanna not have to explain what boba is to, to 
you know, I mean this in a ni nice way. But it's like like boba to like white people. I, I mean like when I go to a conference in like Fortune magazine or these things, people are like, oh, this guy's like gonna be the next whatever Howard Schultz or whatever they say about me. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm my own person, which I, I hate being compared to others. But I know what you're trying to say, so thank you. And then, then it starts making your head slightly big. And then I'm walking around and I, on your badge it says, you know, founder, Boba guys. And then people are like, what's Boba? And I get that, the remaining part of the conference. Mm -hmm. And that's really humbling and it's amazing. It's, I'm glad because I, it stays, keeps me grounded. But I'm like, I wish there was a day I just didn't have to explain what Boba was. And that's why I love doing this podcast, especially you guys. It's in a format that it, you have so many great listeners and I've listened to all the stuff that you guys did with with Bobby and I, um, you know, our friend um, Alfred, like all those people that you have here, we're all cultural people. That's what makes us vibe with you. Yeah. And I think that's really what food is about. I mean, food more than I would argue entertainment is the real gateway to culture. How did you know for when you guys were creating Boba Guys, was it craft from day one? Because mm -hmm. like when I walked into a Boba Guys, I don't know, in 2015 or 16 in San Francisco, uh, that was the uh, one the branding is off the chain mm -hmm. like you immediately like for anyone listening i'm sure we've all been to the kind of random boba spot that's just the closest to you and it's like getting your fix and the the sign the brand the menu the cafe interior it all doesn't matter like none, none of it is memorable in any way you just are able to get your like your your sugar sugar brown sugar balls fix and you're mm -hmm. able to like get out of there and none of them leave an impression i've probably been to 50 like boba shops at least over the course of my life because i'm just getting it wherever i am mm -hmm. and none of them leave an impression literally like literally none um i don't have know, allegiance there, to any like there's there's a couple here like 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 tasty and ten maybe like they kind of they have either high quality or they have better branding. Mm -hmm. But I walked into a boba guys and I was like, I'm at boba guys. Like I knew exactly where I where I was. But I also noticed just from the menu alone, it's like, oh, they're calling out their milks. Oh, they're calling out their teas and they're explaining their teas. They're they have things like we don't do we don't do powders or we don't do whatever. And how how evident was that from the first boba shop or the or even the pop-up as like this is what we're mm. gonna be great question <laughs> i would see i at first i was gonna answer and say uh we thought of like the whole artisanal approach from the very beginning that is probably true but the the steps that you literally laid out i would say we were like guessing along the way the whole time because we knew like Blue Bottle, we're from the Bay, so the Blue Bottle was taken off. Phil's Coffee was right behind them. Mm -hmm. And the third wave coffee scene was killing it. And I always tell people like, third wave coffee, if you look at Blue Bottle, that is straight, that's Japanese style coffee. Americans think it's coming from hipsters in Portland. No, it came out of Japan. That's why all the equipment is Japanese. Yet, yet we, we said it was, oh, it's Americans invented its style. The slow drip and all, it's, it's not. And to me, you know, it's always a blend, you know, and then coffee, you go far back and it's Italian and European. Like and what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out how, you know, it's the, the kind of premise of Boba Guides is our, our background. How did culture, how does culture get made and how do we use drinks to kind of tell a story? And we thought about that from the very beginning. 
I think my co-founder and I, we said, if we're gonna literally dump our entire careers, I went to grad school, you know, like I had this fast track to do like marketing and CMO. If I wanna do it, I wanna do something that actually makes a dent. And that's a very, I know, Bay Area thing, especially actually in LA too. You guys, well, I have dreamers. It's a dreamers mentality. And if you're listening, especially, like it might, you might relate all around the US or the world, dreamers have a different mind. We dream of what's possible and I almost never look back. To this day, people always say, Andrew, you don't really like have regrets. I'm like, I don't. Because a lot of entrepreneurs that I know, we all get along for one reason. It's because we don't like looking back in hindsight and regretting because it just takes too much time. It, people, yeah, it, it just takes too much time. So for us, it was like, how are we gonna get to the point where, again, all the experiences I had as a kid, do I, I don't wanna explain what Boba is. I wish it was normal. I don't wanna be othered. but. At the same time, I'm thinking, well, how come it didn't work for so many other places? Why, what would make us special? And that's when I was looking at Blue Bottle and Phil's and I was like, what these guys do is they they create an ethos. They create a um, an, edu an edutainment, uh, edutainment kind of form of kind of explaining things. And that was really, I think, that was from the beginning, but we didn't know how it was gonna look. So right now we have flavor books. We have something called like a, it's like a lookbook where we use fashion and we have collaborators and we shoot models and we make boba look like you would seen in an anthropology catalog mm -hmm. or a, uh, a Kith magazine, uh, if they had a mag, but like lifestyle. And I think when we think about how to kind of like make boba normal or you know change the way perceptions are, like what Nobu did for Japanese or for sushi food, sushi, because raw fish was gonna kill you in the 80s apparently. Mm. And then 90s, everyone's like, oh, Nobu, Nobu, Nobu. So what made that happen? It was about making sure that culture was palatable and accessible and educating people along the way. So that's kind of like, when I say that out loud, most people listening who know what Boba Guys is, is like, oh, it totally makes sense. When we were showing it to the public, we really don't talk about it that way because nobody wants to see how the sausage gets made. But on this podcast, especially if people who are interested in behind the scenes around food and the ethos, that's really what we care about. And that's why you know, you know, Bobby and his whole community thing with his streetwear, like we were just kind of built collecting people that thought the same way as us. So now when we introduce a new drink that's like Korean banana milk or Japanese coffee cola or like a an upcoming drink that we're releasing, I'll give you an exclusive is ponche, like a like a um, Mexican, like a fruit punch essentially. Like when we do those, we're using our platform to educate. So then by that education, people are more and more receptive to things that are not that are not normal currently to them, that one day will be. And I think that's ultimately what we're trying to do. Do you get questions on when you when you guys do banana milk, which is kind of I believe it's inherently like a, a Korean drink. Really pop. It's in other parts of Asia, but Korea and the, the pop stars really make it popular. It's like a thing there. It's a cult following, yeah. And if you're gonna do like a Mexican punch, I mean, because you guys have branded yourself as like American milk mm -hmm. tea, and I think that's very evident, it's, you know, versus you'll step into other shops that might say Taiwanese specifically mm -hmm. or whatever, um, do you feel, how, how comfortable do you feel like going into the cultures that are not your own and mm -hmm. putting a drink on the menu that, you know, doesn't come from an Asian background per se and, and just putting out there into the world, especially knowing that the world is 2019. Yeah, like cultural appropriation and all that stuff. That's, I mean, this is something that, I think when we first met Jeff, like, I think we're, I have this kind of, it's kind of like the core of our book actually, is like, I've been saying this a lot recently because 
because we're trying to like test it because it is 2019 and a lot can go down um, if you see the wrong thing, is Ben and I, my co-founder and I are not into appropriation versus appreciation. People that's kind of think, they think that's the main dynamic between this whole cultural dialogue. I think that's, you can't really win. I've, I've seen arguments go the both way. Oh, can a, can, a, can a white girl wear a cheap how? And then can a white person make pho? Can an Asian person make Mexican food? You know, like, can Roy Choi make, you know, Korean tacos? Like, to me, some of the best stuff we've had, especially in America, or cuisine in general, or music, is a f function of people being able to derive and lift from others. Now, that being said, there's a good way and a bad way to lift. So the, instead of appreciation versus appropriation, Boba Guys, and we've said this a lot, and I think I've been getting more people in our community and in entertainment to say this, is it's not those, it's three A's. It's not appropriation, it's not appreciation, it's attribution. I think people attributed better and talked about where it comes from and it shows that's just a higher form of appreciation. That's really when it's okay. People always ask, oh, can, can a white person make boba? And I'm like, yeah, here's a good example. Is because if if there's this girl who maybe grew up in California, grew up with boba, and she went to UC Irvine, or you know, you like if you if anybody at this room like we one make boba, but you're not Asian, but you move to Iowa for whatever reason, and so your your spouse is there or whatever, and you're like, I want to have a boba shop. I miss boba from California, and you start a boba shop there. I'd be like, here's all the formulas. How did here's here's how to do it? Because I know boba, good boba in Iowa is not going to happen. So yeah. In that context, I would love for you to do it. Now, if you're just gonna be like, oh, I wanna like, I'm from San Jose and I wanna, and uh, and there's a lot of Vietnamese restaurants, I wanna do it better and, and like, kind of like make current pho or bond me bad in San Jose or make it look bad and say, I'm just elevating it, but you're not from that culture. I think that's where you have a little bit of a weird kind of like, there's no attribution there. You're not really like giving credit, you're just like taking. So I think that's the conversation we like to have. And so when we do ponche or whatever, like Ben and I come from Hispanic and um, Asian neighborhoods. So I'm from South San Francisco, my high school, half Filipino, half Mexican, it's literally my high school. He's from Texas, uh, Wharton, Texas, which is Hispanic. He didn't grow up in like, everybody thinks he grew up in like uh, San Antonio, uh, San Antonio is pretty diverse, but like Houston, which is all Vietnamese if you're Asian, or a lot of Vietnamese. He's, no, he grew up in Wharton. If you Google Wharton, <laughs> it's like 2000 people. It was a, his dad was a plastics plant manager. So it was like where the factories are and who works in those areas. So like, that's how he grew up. So when we met, actually, what we clicked on was we didn't really like when people were like, oh, get mad at them because, you know, they're not Asian, they can't do it. That's like territorial, that's not how society moves. And the other side is like, well, they're just like, are, are racist and they just objectify culture and just take what they want and they colonize. And I'm like, well, that, that happens too. So where, but where is this kind of gonna land though? And the problem is this, this culture train, this circle, is circling, uh, we want to land a plane, but none of us can land a plane. So Aziz is trying to take an attempt at it, his recent special. Uh, Chappelle's kind of talking about it. There's this kind of like cancel culture that's happening, but the plane's not landing. So I think food actually, I think is where it's, is the leading industry, because music's coming right after us. Food, because there's so much, so much ethnic stuff. It's why the top shows and content on Netflix is all food related. Yeah. The plane for food culture is gonna land first, and I think the rest will follow even more than fashion, and not just thinking I'm in food, I love all culture, but I just think food generally moves a little ahead. You see more representation of food earlier than in fashion and in entertainment. When did you decide that um, taking stances or 
um, bringing some element of politics or social commentary into your business because you are a founder, you are um, in the public eye, you are on camera a good amount. Was was there a conversation that you had to have with Ben? Like, hey, we're this is this fits our mission, and we're going to do it. Was that an unspoken conversation? What was you know? Because right now, when the average person like reads Food Beast or reads whatever, they know like, oh, Ben and Jerry's, like, yeah, they take stances and they put stuff on their packaging, and it's polarizing. And f- some people really like it, some people really don't. Um, I'm curious about there are business ramifications for associating with anything, mm-hmm. whether you believe in it or not. So if you support pride, which I do great, like that's amazing, but your public stance of supporting pride has, could have consequences on your business. What types of conversations did you have with Ben or did it come after you guys were already getting limelight for stances that you took? Yeah, this is like Terry Gross. I'm like, no, I'm saying, bro, we all we are all yo, over, bro. Yo, like, we just warm up first and then we get to it. Thought that this is like, deep. What fucking Jim Barry show did I walk on? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. I think I don't know if we uh, again a lot of this is by accident. I, I so I don't know if how we think about maybe high level, but I don't think when we're thinking about what we're doing, we didn't think that hard because again, it's a lot of it was just doing it as we go. So I will say we did think about our values and all that kind of stuff. Because we are corporate training and corporate, you always talk about mission statements and all that. So we knew what words we wanted to go after. We knew what we wanted people to say about us. So we kind of then reverse engineer. How do you get people to say that Boba Guys is um, bridging cultures? We knew the mission was that, but what does that actually mean? So we had to reverse engineer. What does that mean day to day? Another one is Boba Guys, um, because how to bridge cultures, you inherently have people with different lenses. So we knew one of the big points of conflict and um, maybe even like a little down a rabbit hole is like the way your manual is built is uh, people don't know, people rarely see the manual unless it gets, gets leaked, I hope it doesn't get leaked. But um, part, that's mostly our secret sauce. And I make our leadership team choose between, you know, philosophical debates that have no right answer, meaning uh, are people inherently good or evil? That's in my manual. People don't even, realize this about Boba Guys. There's a reason why the Boba Guys exists for bridging cultures, because we're pretty intense about it. And we built this over eight years. So like we asked, uh, I asked the team um, on the, in the manual, you, you're supposed to circle which side that you're on. Are you team T'Challa, Malcolm, uh, team T'Challa, Professor X, kind of this, what you call like a MLK, this model of, you know, harmony and like making change through kind of like a small incremental change? Or are you Malcolm X, are you Magneto? It's in a manual at Boba Guys. I've heard it's unheard of. Because uh, some people, my mentors who've seen it, is like, that's risky. And I'm like, that's the only way you can bridge cultures. Because cultures are, people are inherently different. If I don't get my 20 year old to think about it, they're not gonna then be able to do it to a, a guest. And so, when we do that, that gets into, that's one example of us really going intensely about what does bridging cultures look like. And then stances like our straws and all that, a lot of that has to do with, all right, people are asking us to kind of, we have a very strong kind of like ethos and philosophy. So people are like straws, where are you gonna bet aside, bet on it? And we're like, 
if we were not to, people are gonna be say, you're not thinking about enough. Oh, I thought you were progressive, or I thought you guys were like trying to make this revolution and push the envelope. Well, that's all talk. So we knew by being being um, stagnant or idle, that's being complicit. So we're like, well, we know where we're gonna go. Now, which side is the culture gonna land on? Are we gonna land on, you know, pl banning plastic straws is too much, it's like, too much government intervention and all this kind of stuff, or is it? No, it's just a cultural move, and it's going to start the the beach be the beachhead for other plastic straw bans. We everybody now knows we're kind of like the face of the plastic straw ban. We we helped write the first ordinance in America at in San Francisco, which is usually the strictest ordinances for sustainability. It's always out of the Bay Area, so we put our name on it, and we got a ton of shit for it. But I Ben and I kind of like calculated. Well, what are the pros and cons? What would they say about us? And so when we ended up, I ended up on the front page of like some reason.com thing. And I was like, oh, kind of expected that. Well, they say, you know, the libertarians are like, uh, like what good is the straw? It doesn't save the straw, uh, the amount of plastic use. And I said, well, that was never, I knew you were probably gonna say that. And that's not the point. The point was to create the cultural move to make it a symbol. And now look a year later, a year and a half later, the EU, Taiwan, all these places are banning these straws. Uh, and not straws, but single-use plastic. And that, I do think, came because of the conversation around other microplastics. So something like that, we kind of just played out. And then the bigger assumption is, with technology, you can't hide. So the only other way around all this is, well, just be opaque, don't say anything, don't do anything. No company should talk about their ingredients, they shouldn't talk about what they're talking about, they're, they're thinking about, they shouldn't reveal anything. And those companies are getting killed right now. They are because I don't think that's the future. The internet is all open. That's why I love, I mean, listen to you guys, listen to all your guests, and that's probably why you, we, we're, all, we're all on the same network, is because the future is a version of this like openness and transparent, because technology is not gonna let secrets happen. That's why I openly talk about, like if I say where the, what's in my manual, because I'm out of, you know, 300 active employees and 500, um, alumni, uh, 500 total employees, 150 alumni. I'm sure my manual is somehow out there because it got passed along because some professor wanted their student to give it to them. Oh no, hopefully that doesn't make it a license and okay, so if you're listening to my team. <laughs> I just realized that's me just being too open. Spread that shit. <laughs> but when it's out there, like. It's out there. Yeah, it's out there, so you can't pull it back. People don't know, I write every, I write these emails uh, to my team and the we have a weekly video like a announcement video it's like morning announcements at boba guys and it's on youtube <laughs> but it's private linked but it's a unlisted url so if somebody shares it what are they gonna say but i don't mind i say it out loud because somebody was probably may have shared something that uh i said to my employees i assume everything that i write or say or even this podcast is going to get shared so ben and i are kind of rethinking of how executives and business people or talent like you guys, how it all works. And then you have to just choose what world you wanna live in. You wanna live in an opaque world or a transparent world? We can just you, choose transparent. Can you scale this? I don't, that's what, see that's the part I don't think about too much. Like, I don't know. This is with the trial and error. Cause this is dope, like everything you're saying is dope and like it's, it's cool and I think uh, you guys originating out of San Francisco is, I was gonna ask, like, is that important? Like, of course it's important. I think mm -hmm. it's influenced you guys a lot mm -hmm. from like even seeing like a dope taqueria down the way mm -hmm. and now, or there's horchata on your menu, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, 
and and kind of San Francisco allows a certain type of thinking and a certain, t- a certain type of progressiveness. So like yeah. if you took a certain straw band in a different city, they might be like, well, fuck these guys. Yeah. Like I can't sip a boba without a straw. Y'all can yeah. go piss off. Like and then and then your business is done. So again, I, I'm curious now as you guys have obviously expanded beyond San Francisco, you're mm-hmm. in LA, you're in New York. Mm-hmm. So you're you, you have different trains of thoughts in different mm-hmm. parts of the country, but yeah, do you think about how that scales like once you have 100 locations? Or is that important to you? Do you not care about 100 locations? Do you more care about having 20 that just have this ethos that you're proud of? Damn, you guys with the hard hit question. <laughs> I'm saying, bro. I went to UC Irvine, home of the UC eaters. Za, 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 za. I, I would say, I'll give you some good examples. Uh, funny ones were like New York. Uh, we had, we used Strauss Organic Milk in California, which is like, I would say, top quality milk. It's like the pioneers of organic movement and dairy. In New York, they don't give a shit about organics. <laughs> I was like, I was talking to customers. We were doing pop-ups there. And I was asking, what milk should we go with? And they, I, this is like my unofficial like focus group. They did not care. I was like stunned. Um, today, today's post, um, we wrote about our uh, bamboo straws that are kind of making its way through the bay and the thing, because we, we kind of bet on bamboo straws early, because I had to convince a lot of the distributors to carry it, which people don't see behind the scenes. It's not like Boba Guys chose it and it hap- magically happened. I have to get enough clout because I single-handedly can't bring in all the straws that America needs, or it's gonna be too expensive. So I need to convince the distributors to carry it, and then to convince them, I have to say, follow our choice but they they have a choice on choosing what type of technology for straws so behind the scenes that's i'm always thinking about that which we not to be like we don't talk about but nobody really it's not sexy let's just say and so when we think about all those things we're like do people care bamboo or not um we're i'll give you an exclusive uh, another one we've been thinking about i just want to even see what the comments say after this podcast is that boba guys is like very like let's just say going to japan Okay. So, you know, a lot of friends went there. How does transparency, which is our core value, bridging culture, how does that show itself in Japan, which is notoriously a little more reserved and I don't say opaque, but less open. Let's just, the openness is a very California, it's Everlane. It's like these brands that are like, let me show you how to do everything. It's Elon Musk. It's let me give away my Tesla formulas or technology. That's where we come from. But how does that translate into a culture there? Mm-hmm. So I thought New York was hard. We're actually wrecking our brain right now. We're like, how is it gonna work in Japan? Do we emphasize transparency or do we talk about a different angle, which is cultures and quality? But in cultures, is they're very, I don't wanna overly stereotype, but Japanese culture historically has been very um, hard to change. So are we gonna be too progressive for them? I want to do stuff with related to a lot of like LGBT or minorities or women and stuff. And then how does that work in Asian cultures? Because I'm Asian, I will say I will, it's not, we're, we're, it's evolving, but like it's stereotypically generally patriarchal. So how does that work? Because we're so liberal in America. So I don't think it's right or wrong. I just think it's culture and it's just two different lenses and we have to be able to choose. So the only way the, I can land a plane personally I feel like is dialogue. So we have a hashtag that we use is dialogue wins. Dialogue is just the ability to hash out your differences. And sometimes that dialogue means agree to disagree. So if a Japanese, my Japanese partner is like, 
yo, that's just too American. Can't pull it off here. I get what you're saying, but I can't pull it off. And I sincerely believe that they understand and they've made their best effort and vice versa. They believe that I'm trying to understand their culture. I will probably be like, okay, then what are, what are other ways that we can get our values expressed? And I got a question about culture because in this talk of, of Boba Guys opening in Japan, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we talked to, to Alfred's coffee last week with Josh mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know he started off as a coffee concept, mm-hmm. opened one tea house. Like it mm-hmm. was by design to open one tea house and instead of opening up more tea houses here, he opened them in Japan, yeah. which is curious because the sentiment I got from him and I can't quote him on anything specific there, uh, was that like we're not ready for tea here in America like that? Which is mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I want to know how you feel about that because you got Cause obviously we, people are ready for tea in a way that you have you know fifteen sixteen shops. There's chains with hundreds of locations, right? So is I'm curious how you feel about that, and then also are you done with? your mission statement in America already, because America is a big country as Mm -hmm. well, Mm -hmm. and you have a great mission statement, and again, we're all fans of Boba Guys, and you guys have a ton of fans, but are other parts of our own country right now in need of the conversations that you guys are enlisting, and you're already like thinking about going to Japan, like, yo, Mm -hmm. bro, we kind of need your help here too Mm -hmm. still. So like, how do you balance all that, and how do you think about, where's tea at right now in America? Good question. I mean, there's two parts. So the part in America, I think um, the way it works internationally, which uh, this is sharing a little bit, but it's not rocket science, is like we have to figure out how to operate internationally. And in Japan and countries like Japan, you generally work with either a joint venture or a license. We can go internally, but I'm not Jap- Ben and I are not Japanese. We have a lot of Japanese friends, but over there, uh, statistically, just the businesses that are from the Western world, like America, that go into Japan, usually rely with partners. So in terms of scale and ops, they, it's a little business nerdy answer, but like it's kind of scaled um, a little easier. The capital uh, can be leveraged better. Um, and then, and you know, that's just how it goes. With America, yeah, we I mean, we looked at, I mean, the markets people always tell us to go to is like, go to uh, Seattle and um, Washington DC. And I'm like, DC maybe, Seattle's great. I would say like, what about Miami? What about places that you know have enough um, sweet tea culture or whatever it is, at uh, the South, but you we, we go a derivative, derivative. So one thing that we would tell people at Boba Guys is like Boba Guys is we're essentially premium our artisanal boba. We're like blue bottle fills Lachlum quality with boba. Most of the other guys are kind of like, uh, not in a negative way, just more middle market, which is like Starbucks, Pete's. We're kind of up level. But if I go to St. Louis or you know, uh, you know, Gro- you know, Gross Point in Michigan or whatever. To them, boba's so new to elevate it won't even make sense because it's mm-hmm. like a double move. So we actually think about it as like, what's our single move thing that we do? And when we exhaust all the single moves, then you go into double moves. So there's a lot of markets where I know what tea is, but I just want a different form. I roughly know what uh, boba is because I see, yeah, where's a huge, a huge Vietnamese community, and there's a lot of like. Vietnamese coffee and Thai tea, well, let me just add balls to it. And I think, hmm. every time I say balls, uh, and nobody- <laughs> Still never gets old, huh? No, no, still still 20. Um, and so that's why we actually are doing the book. The book, a lot of people are gonna say, yo, that book is like diet boba culture. It's like, 
not fully deep. And I'm like, that's not the goal of Boba Guys. I can spend all day talking about, because um, I speak, you know, the, the actual languages, like I can go really like ethnic culture if I wanted to, but that's not our purpose. Let other people do that. I don't think there's anything wrong as we're essentially gonna, it's like Nobu for Japanese food or what Roy Choi really did with um, trying to take out the Korean tacos or Momofuku and David. They kind of stretch the limits and I think that is more of our role. And and every time we do something that stretches limits, people reward us for it or they our, our support, our community backs us up. So that's kind of no, we're like, okay, that's what you want. Now if we did, and every time they were like blasting us or our, t- our community and my team is like, that is off brand, that's not really the right move, then I, I do react. And there are a couple things that were probably, like we had like this random tea podcast called Loose Leaf. And it, I didn't wasn't on it, we produced it though. And we had about our couple of our employees who had this background do it. But it was so into tea high culture that it never took off. And ultimately, I didn't even think that was where it was gonna go. So I pulled a plug on it. And to me, that was a move. And I could tell because people weren't responding to it. If I was posting about it, nobody would really comment. And so to me, I think we have to figure out what our role is with the the audience that we now have. And similar to your guys' job, it's like, uh, when, on these podcasts, sometimes you have guests like me that I'm a little more heady. You've got too many people who are like, oh, don't ask those heady questions. <laughs> Sorry. You yeah, go down that like, wormhole. Yeah, you go down that wormhole. You got to balance it because like we do have a large audience and then, but we want to get into the nitty gritty sometimes, yeah. but then you got you to get the audio porn in there of just like that high level, let's talk boba and spitting it out and doing all that and all the yeah. culture around well, it. We'll talk boba porn. I'll, I'll talk boba. I talk big balls, Black balls, golden balls, white. Ball. We we have a factory now, so we actually literally one of the things we're talking about is what color to make the balls. I swear to God. Well, let's. Uh, we we didn't even talk about that because a big part of it is you guys. One, you wanted to step up the quality, mm-hmm. so uh, talk about making your own balls. So, there's gonna be so many puns in here. So my team, um, one of my good friends who's on our team, he's like. Andrew, to keep it classy, you know, if, you, if we're doing all these collabs with these these amazing fashion brands, you know, that's corny me dad jokes. That's me and I yeah, that's it, yeah. oh, really? that's our relationship. Yeah. He's like, that's not cool. So I'm gonna try to keep the puns down, but. I'll turn it up, bro. <laughs> Free reign. Yeah, Jeff and I, yeah, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff gave you the approval, apparently. <laughs> so, so the machines, it took us years. Uh, this is like uncharted territory, because I don't even know how to talk about it, because I don't know what's legal, what's not. But, um. We basically had to clear it through kind of a customs, the machines, because these cust- these machines now are, I could talk about it because now it's fully approved. Um, our uh, our partner, David and I, this, this, this our joint venture partner uh, was able to, we spent years trying to get these rolling machines out of Taiwan. And people don't know this, but in Taiwan, it's like, uh, if you remember in the 70s, uh, Bruce Lee got a lot of shit for teaching non-Asian, non-Chinese people Kung Fu. 60s, well, I forget what decade, I think 70s. He got a lot of shit for it because it was like, that's our culture, it's for Chinese people, white teaching, non-Asians, especially like white people, are our culture. And there's stories and stories about kind of all the flack he got. I honestly, we're not obviously even nearly like Bruce Lee, but we got a ton of shit when we were, there's rumors about these, these two American kids bringing these machines out of the country. And Boba has never been made outside of Asia, ever. There's maybe a couple factories in in China, um, one or two in Japan, and all of them are in Taiwan. So the Taiwanese community is like, yo, like I love that you're making boba popular in America, 
but use our but, stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's where, I mean, I'm from Silicon Valley, so I'm all, I'm abundance mentality. I'm like, uh, if I grow the pie, you need factories all over the world, but they don't think that way. So I got into this heated argument with actually the one of the, the, the billionaire, he's the head of one of the largest boba factory and, and supplies suppliers in the world. He's main, this, and his, his account exec put us together at the food uh, fancy food show in San Francisco. We're arguing on the floor about the future of boba and tapioca in 2012. Is this a panel or just on the floor? He, no, he, it's, he has a booth. And his um, this girl, the account exec that we work with says, "Hey, you should meet my, my the owner of everything. He's here in town, and we're trying. And we know you're trying to make boba popular and mainstream. You should, should talk build. to him. Y'all should build. And then they throw hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. At the fancy food show in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was a yeah. We're throwing. We're gonna throw down. We need those boxing gloves, uh, or uh, four ounce gloves. And so uh, MMA. So we basically." Uh, we're throwing down because we got into this heated argument. Actually, I don't really, people, I mean, my employees will tell you, I don't raise my voice. I I generally, I'm like, I'm kind of like this 24-7. I'm a little like high key, but I'm not like, I don't have like ups and downs. I'm just high key. So I'm, I'm type A maybe. But like the, so this guy, the, I'm gonna release his name because people are gonna Google this. He, he was just saying, well, why do you wanna change it? And why do you wanna, do things local because I want to say I said uh, maybe we should, could bring some of your stuff over here locally because I knew the movement. This is 2013 is going to move toward a local movement, and we had just opened our first store, and that first store was crazy. It was doing really well, so he had heard that we had probably a concept that was working in America, and so we were arguing, and it left with him just essentially walking away on me, and I was like, I was like, it was just like a hard handshaking out, and and I think he was just very frustrated. That was where maybe my my business side came out and my 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 competitiveness and my entrepreneurship came out. And anybody listening, if you kind of vibe with me, like chase your dream, you know, shoot your shot because I really think that's what moves the world. Doing, uh, if you guys, you know, doing a media and podcast, like where you guys, I watched Food Beast blow up while we were blowing up. So like, same thing, that's why I love you guys. I think to me, that meeting was like, I'm gonna make boba in the US. People ask, when did you know what you're gonna make boba in the United States? People think we were doing bougie boba or artisanal boba in 2011. We thought of it from the very beginning. Nope, it was that conversation. That conversation was like, if he's anything like his peers, they'll never change. And I vowed never to be like that. And that's why I actually, to this day, I openly do this on podcasts and I tell our fans and our, our, um, our community, I say what we're gonna do because you can hold me accountable to it. If I say dialogue wins, if I say bridge cultures, the moment I don't bridge cultures, then you should say you said on 15 interviews and in your book that it was all about bridging cultures, yet here you are uh, shading people. We don't shade. You know, I make fun, that's different, that's not real shade. Like I really never say, you know, oh, what about this boba shop? I'm like, they're all great because they're all part of a larger ecosystem. It's like it's like blue bottles hating on Starbucks. They don't. We not we need to stop that fighting. So for me, I'm all about growing the pie. So with that meeting, I immediately was like, how do I get it out of the country? Get the machines out. And I did, and now it's like, now how do I get the people? Because the, the the mechanics are only in Taiwan. Mm. So I had to fly the mechanics out here and get visas. And oh, my partner did actually. And then I had to like, uh, these balls. So we were like these giant drums. If there's pictures of this online uh, on our websites, you can see these giant drums 
like there's nothing like this in America because I've been in my fair share of factories. There's no true equivalent, and like you can put your whole body into a drum. Like you can roll out. It's like a it's like a drying machine, and um, you you take you take samples of the balls and you taste the balls in the factory to as it goes because it, it's very delicate and um, and then there's this whole oh man I am gonna sound like. Uh, I'm going to ASMR mode. Yeah, so talk to me, bro. Get so, lower. So these uh, these balls <laughs> roll up in these drums, and you reach into this hole, and the balls. Yeah, one ball uh, at a time. One ball at a time, and the Away. the inner of the balls it has to be harder because when it gets cooked, it gets cooked longer. So on the outside, it has to be a little softer because that's where it creates kind of this sponginess yeah. of the tapioca powder. Oh yeah, and then the the it goes up this ramp and it filters up the felt filters of balls because the balls have to be the right size too small uh it gets too mushy and it'll turn gelatinous too big the balls don't always are evenly cooked and they get hard in the middle yeah. so the per perfect balls have to be chewy uh we call it cuckoo and uh, the balls and you don't want it to get stuck in a straw wait no, you call it cute what you call it what qq oh qq <laughs> Jeff's like walking in, like, <laughs> yo, like, yo, bro, the sock was on the door, Jeff. <laughs> yo, yo, that bro. one went way longer than I thought it would. Two, it's my favorite moment of the podcast maybe ever. This has been happening a lot, and I really like it. I really like it. You're going to make it. this the leader. Yeah. This is what we open on. Yeah. Roll the intro music, Izzy. <laughs> so, uh, QQ is just a term. Uh, Taiwanese people use it. QQ is kind of like our version of saying al dente. It's not the same, but it's it's like a, a description of how chewy well, something be. is. Mm -hmm. So we call it. You want it QQ. So uh, yeah. So the art of it, we ser there's a serious conversation. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm nerdy about this. It it's a lot of trial and error. We were dumping like tons of balls. Like it was like, and we're recycling them because it, the starch wasn't uh, perfectly. It was too hard, too soft. The balls weren't the right size. It took months and months. So once we got the machines in, it still took forever. But the good news is now that we've essentially perfected it, and cafes around, I want, I can't say, I don't think I can say who, um, but people you know who who we talk about, like they use our U.S. boba company. That's our U.S. boba brand. So if you see U.S. boba company, it's boba guys in in our our boba company. That's huge. So you genuinely, if now there's a few reasons where I believe that you want this pie to be huge in America. I generally, you, do. you want you want mid you want the mid tier brands that mm -hmm. you're talking about. You want them to open up in the Texases of the world, mm -hmm. and so so that way you can come in with yours. One, they can use your product, mm -hmm. and then also you can come in with your higher end boba shop and and give those areas just a variety yeah how do you feel because you talk about like just the importance of i love that we started it with what is boba it's by design trust me bro mm -hmm. i know what boba is <laughs> um how important is it that like i, I heard somewhere that you like yeah i would just love like for a, a night show host to just casually be sipping boba maybe instead of coffee and not make it a thing oh I, yeah I don't know. I heard, you heard, I heard that, that yeah. somewhere. I heard I that somewhere, bro. Yeah. I don't know. I just hear things. Man, and then, your research. <laughs> I don't actually, but <laughs> I literally walked there like, who's on the podcast? Oh, you're, 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 <laughs> like the, the, the group of bubble guys. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, cool. Um, but like, I saw, I believe it was Kevin Lee, the magician on Penn and Teller. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he was just casually holding boba on there. Yeah. How, yeah. how, how yeah. important or cool was that for you to see? Oh my, dude, Kevin's a homie, and wow, we, man, I don't want to like show you guys talk about the sausage and how it gets made. 
We talk sausage and then and then <laughs> and, boat and, and balls. balls. <laughs> uh, this is we have no female listeners. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm happily married. My wife is already shaking her head. Uh, I told you that today this is gonna be no filter. It's like straight, straight, um, straight off the cuff. So so here's I'll, to, I'll tell you what I could say. A lot of us in kind of the boba culture who identify with this vision, let's just say, we all know each other. So whether um, with Alfred, Josh, and Jordan there. I told him, I said, well, whatever you want, co-sign, like whatever you, whatever you guys help need, like we'll teach you because you get customers that we can never get and grow the pie for us, please. And that's literally how, I remember Jordan came from American Tea Room and his, like the, the, the real number two guy, or he's in charge of food there and culinary. And he, people don't give him enough credit for helping make Boba uh, popular because through Alfred and their brand, and Josh is a brand genius, uh, he gets people to drink boba that a decade would never drink boba. And so like talking with Alfred or um, Kevin, Kevin was like, yo, like I have these ideas and I might wanna do a boba idea for the, he was, that was his second show. The second magician, Island. Kevin yeah. Lee, the, magi Kevin Lee, the magician, yeah. yep. And he goes, yeah. And so if you notice, he even did a metal straw on that show, right. which mm -hmm. we kind of helped, you know, like push. So all that kind of stuff, we're kind of like trying to, we get hit up a lot, and so we're like, if it kind of plays in with our wheelhouse and grows the pie, we're like, what do you want? You want me? To, you want to learn? You want resources? You want to teach? We, we're all for. And if you look at Instagram, it's not a secret that we're connected to like most of these pop culture moments. So we generally, we do genuinely. If you listen to this, one takeaway is like, yes, we're business guys, but we're culture guys at the very core. It's all about culture. Because who would I look up to? I look up to. I'll tell you who I look up to. I look up to. Patagonia, Yvonne Chouinard. A lot of people know that I almost idolize him because of the way he talks about sustainability. And he's beyond just his clothes. He's the one who sues the president for not taking care of you know the the natural resources and and stuff. And I think that kind of energy, I'm all for. I'm like I'm big energy, obviously. And like I think that energy, like I like it's it's not about you know how loud you are. It's about how you use what you got, your platform, your voice. And I really, that's why I do like, again, you know, whether it's this podcast, I, people know I don't really, I think there's a second food podcast we've ever done. And the reason why we generally keep food away is because we we, we don't always wanna like, rev, not reveal, but like say all of the, what we just said in this last hour. What up, Ketchup fam? Producer Izzy here reminding you to stay tuned for part two of our conversation with Andrew Chow of Boba Guys as we dig in even deeper on the connection between food and culture. And thank you for listening to part one. We hope you enjoyed every minute of it, or at least most minutes of it. Bye.